0: Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Last uh, Wednesday night, we had about a hundred of y'all gather together for what we call Making NCC Your Home where we looked at our statement of faith, we looked at our process for making disciples and make disciples, uh, what is New Covenant all about, and one of the things we ended with is we're a family. Uh, When we gather together, what if we looked at this as more of a family gathering than we did of uh, somebody comes and they do their thing and we listen to something and then we leave, um, but we see each other as family. Um, Speaking of family, our church family has gone through some hard stuff. In fact, it's interesting, my oldest, McKenna, just said the other day, seems like our church family is being attacked a lot. So I'm trusting that means God's going to do great things in our midst. We've got a few folks that have been, uh, we've got a few folks that have gone through some really rough stuff between car accidents. Um, COVID seems to be hitting hard lately, and a bunch of folks in our congregation got that. We've got a couple of folks that are actually dealing with terminal illnesses um, in our church body. So if you could be praying uh, for those families. Um, Just hard stuff going on. But here's the good news this morning, we're going to take a look at Revelation 14, 6 through 13. The title of the passage is A Sneak Peek Behind Death's Door. As we get that sneak peek behind Death's Door, you know what we're going to discover at the end of this passage? Believers have nothing to fear. In fact, we have everything to look forward to. So we're going to take a look really at what's going to start with tragedy, but it's going to end in triumph. There's tragedy at death for the unbeliever, but there is triumph for the saint that's in Christ. So I look forward to that. So speaking of which, I don't know if you know about this old cemetery in Indiana. It's a little over 100 years old, and there's this tombstone that has this famous saying. It goes like this, pause stranger when you pass me by as you are now so once was I as I am now so you will be so prepare for death and follow me somebody very wise an unknown visitor later scratched this on the tombstone to follow you I'm not content until I know which way you went (laughs) very wise Scripture does make clear that every person that's ever existed is going to spend one of two places for all of eternity. We will either be in hell, separated from Jesus forever because we rejected the only hope that we have, the only offer of salvation and forgiveness that we have, or we will be in heaven with the Lord forever because we have trusted the King of kings, the one who died for all of our sins, past, present, and future. So here we are, Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 13. I'm hoping you're having as much fun as I am going through the book of Revelation, verse by verse, because as we unpack this more and more, we are getting closer and closer to three of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. Revelation 20, when Jesus sets up his literal 1,000 year reign of Christ that millennium. Revelation chapter 21, when we get those new heavens and the new earth, and we're going to have our new bodies and we're going to experience everything that is going to be in perfection. God is going to bring back all of the things that he originally designed at Eden before where we mess it up, and then in Revelation chapter 22, we're going to get to see how that extends into all of eternity. Those chapters are coming. Just hold on, because by the time we get to October and November, that's where we'll be. In the meantime, let's take a look at what God wants to teach us in Revelation 14, 6 through 13. If you'd grab your Bibles, turn there, and then if you would just, as we do in the honor of Jesus, stand with me as we read Revelation 14. Uh, Verses 6 through 13. He says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, As we take a look at this passage together, note that what John tells us, or really what Jesus tells us through John, is that at the death of the sinner, there's grievous retribution. However, at the death of the saint, there's glorious reward. So that's why I said this morning we're going to start with tragedy, but it's going to end in triumph. So hang in there. The verses that we just read contain what I would call three angelic flybys. You get these angels flying overhead that are about to do a couple of things. They're going to proclaim judgment on unbelievers, but then they're going to break down the blessings of dying if you're in Christ for believers. So let's start with the retribution of unbelievers. The first thing that we notice in this passage is that the death of the sinner is tragic. If you all remember in the book of Psalms, it says precious is the death of the saints in the eyes of the Lord. What is precious about death? Well, that is our doorway to being with the Lord and escaping this sin-tainted world. In some of the most powerful language in all the Bible, we're about to take a look at it, John is going to describe the horrible fate that awaits unbelievers. And I hope that after we read this, it spurs us on to say, I don't even want my worst enemy to end up in this place that is called hell or ultimately Gehenna, which is the lake of fire. Before we even get to that, I also want us to take a look at the fact that God doesn't want anybody to be in the lake of fire. Matthew chapter 25 tells us that God actually created the lake of fire or hell for Satan and his demons. However, when mankind had rejected God's plan and rejected him, they put themselves on a path headed to hell unless... They were willing to accept the one who provided atonement and redemption for them. But let's take a look at a couple of things. Beginning in verses 6 through 8, note this. It says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. And another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Note this first off. The tragedy of the unbeliever begins with the judgment that they actually deserve. We tend to think that God is unjust in his punishment of people. It's not fair that people go to hell for all of eternity. Well, I'm going to address that objection in just a minute, but I want to note this first. The angel is flying directly overhead. God doesn't put any words in his word by accident or arbitrarily. So notice the angel is flying directly overhead. Somehow, every person that's still left on the planet during this time of the tribulation is going to see this angel flying directly above them. That means that there is no denying that they heard the gospel. Because note that it goes on to say what this angel's crying out. He's crying out the eternal gospel. They're hearing the good news of Jesus. Now, it's eternal in the sense that it is forever true. It doesn't go in season and out of season. Have you noticed how much the culture changes with what is considered right and what is considered wrong, and then vice versa? The good news is the gospel never changes. Just because our young people live in a world right now that is telling them That what once used to be wrong is now right, and what is now right is now considered evil and wrong, doesn't mean that it's true. Unfortunately, many people, if they hear it enough times, begin to believe it, which is why it's imperative that we as the church speak. Don't remain silent. Uh, You all heard already, we're going to be going through a little study called The Church in Babylon. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, spoke into the Babylonian culture, which is why they got thrown into a, a lion's den, Daniel did, which is why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got thrown into a flaming furnace, because they spoke into the prevailing culture and the sins of the prevailing culture. Don't be afraid to speak. Does that mean that you're always going to get rescued from the fire? Well, in one sense, yes. Yes. In one way, shape, or form, you will always be rescued from the fire. It might just be that the Lord is going to take you all the way to heaven. I tell you what, gang, when you get to heaven, it's going to be even better than being rescued from a literal fire and continuing life on this planet. Because being with God is going to be so much better. I want you to note a couple of things that this angel said when he flew overhead. There's actually three things that I want us to note. The first is this. He said, fear God. This means to have a reverent awe for who God is. We seem to have lost our reverent awe for who God is. Here's the other thing that's really cool. When you have a reverent fear of God, you have no fear of man. Stop and ponder that for a minute. When I fear God, I don't fear man. Part of the reason that I think we fear man so much is we don't have a healthy enough fear of who God is. Now, we always use fear, it's seemingly in a bad way. Fear is not a bad thing. Being in reverent awe of who God is is the best thing for us possible because when I fear God and what he's capable of, it definitely causes me to live a life that brings him glory, which always turns out for my good, which leads me to the second thing. If you have a reverent fear of God, the angel says, give him glory. After realizing how awesome and how majestic and how reverent God is, what's the next logical step? Bring Him glory in everything. You want to know how to live a life that pleases God? Just bring Him glory in everything. I don't mean for this to sound too simplistic, but all I have to do is ask myself, in everything that I do, every conversation that I have, the way that I dress, the way that I talk, the, the entertainment that I fill my mind and my heart with, all I have to do is just ask one simple question. Will this bring God glory and make me more like Jesus? That's all i got to do in every question. In this way that I'm about to act for our young people, with your boyfriend, with your girlfriend, is it going to bring God glory and make you more like Jesus? Moms and dads, the way that you treat your spouse, or the way that you disciple your kids, is this going to bring God glory and make you or make them more like Jesus? That's all we got to ask. And then it leads to the third logical step, and that is the angel says, worship him. Y'all remember the word worship in the Greek? The, the Greeks love to, especially the gospel writers, love to take Greek words and just kind of mash two words together and make them into one. Well, that Greek word for the word worship is the word proskuneo. Pros is that uh, Greek preposition. Kuneo is a Greek verb. The Greek preposition pros literally means straight or towards. That Greek verb, kuneo, means I kiss, so I kiss towards. It was the act of falling down at a king's feet or a dignitary's feet or an emperor's feet and literally either kissing their feet or kissing the ground that they walked on because they were worthy of that type of worship. Our Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Isn't he worthy of that kind of worship? So I would pray that that's what we're bringing him when we gather together on Sunday mornings, that that's what we're bringing him when we sit down Uh, early morning to study God's Word or before we go to bed at night. Well, then we move to Revelation 14, verse 8, and it's the first time that the word Babylon is mentioned in the book of Revelation. If you all remember, in the Old Testament, Babylon was one of Israel's chief enemies. It was in 605 B.C. that Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael and thousands of other Jews got ransacked and drug into Babylon wasn't long after that, about 20 years later in 586 BC, that they went and and completely ravaged and destroyed Jerusalem, tore down the temple, killed tens of thousands of Jews. And now here in Revelation 14, Babylon refers to that world system, the one that the Antichrist has set up, and it's being judged. It's going down. And ultimately it shows the futility of worshipping the things of Satan, worshipping the things of the Antichrist or the false prophet. They're all going down every single one of them and yet there are thousands of people that are aligning themselves with the very things of the world and satan's plan we have people all around us worshiping all the wrong things just like the people in the tribulation uh, will and just like the people of daniel's day did our job is go sound the warning we not, we may not be angels flying directly overhead but we are still called to go out and present the eternal gospel And present it to everybody that we meet. Our job is to go out and prayerfully make heaven crowded. Think about that for a minute. That's our job. Now, you and I don't save anybody. So I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. I can't change a single heart. I can't change a single mind. I can't save a single soul. But I am given the task. And I don't even like calling it a task. I'm given the blessing of getting to go out and preach God's word wherever we go. And I'm not talking about on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. I'm talking about an everyday life. You and I are called to go out and share the good news of the gospel message. Now, when you do, it might be a little costly. I mean, as I study the life of the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles in the New, I notice that there are at least two things that always happen every time they preach the gospel. Some would come to Christ and love them for the message and and their lives would be radically changed. Or the person that preached the message completely get rejected, and it quite possibly would cost them their lives. We live in America. It's probably not going to cost you your life, but it might cost you some likes on Facebook. It might cost you some nasty grams on Instagram. It might cost you your job. I am starting to spend time with more and more folks, even in our midst, in our own church, that are at the point of losing their jobs because they won't do something that goes against the truth of God's Word. They are refusing pray for people in our midst that are refusing to bow down to the world's philosophies, systems and regimes and they're losing their jobs for it well in revelation 14 9 through 11 it goes on it says and another angel a third followed them saying with a loud voice if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand he will also drink the wine of god's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they will have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. There were those that received the mark of Jesus on their foreheads. Remember the 144,000 that we talked about? And they are going to get to experience the exact opposite. Wrath has been removed from them. It says that they will be tormented forever they will find no rest day or night as you're about to see in verses 12 through 13 those that follow jesus have the exact opposite fate we'll get there in just a minute but note the second thing that we just learned their tragedy continues with the hell that they deserve first it started with the judgment that they deserve then it continues with the hell that they deserve this third angel gives this dire warning and once again you see god issuing grace I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. You don't have to spend eternity separated from me forever. This is why the most loving thing that we could do is be like this third angel and go share the gospel with everybody. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's your atheist friend or your Buddhist friend or your Mormon friend or your Eastern mystic friend or your Jehovah's Witness friend or whoever it is. Go share Jesus with them. Because anybody that takes away from the deity of Jesus and takes away from the cross work of Jesus is somebody that cannot spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. That's not your pastor saying that. I'm just the messenger. Do you all hear what I'm saying? Now, what I am saying to you right now flies in the face of everything that our culture teaches The Babylonian system says let people worship whoever they want, when they want, as long as they're sincere, that's all that matters. Let me talk about the illogical conclusion of that statement. Beliefs and ideas always have consequences. So if I want to believe with all my heart that I can jump out of a plane at 14,000 feet with no parachute and end up perfectly fine because that's what I want to believe... Guess what's going to happen to me? Despite my sincere belief that I'm going to fly away, what's going to happen to me? Gravity wins. Why? Because truth is defined as that which conforms to reality. And I will tell you something that I believe I have shared with you before. What we read in Scripture from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22 is the only one that lies out a logical worldview that conforms to reality. Reality. In Revelation uh, 14, 9 through 11, also note that it says that this person will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. There was this ancient practice of watering down the wine because people could make more money that way. The wine would go further. Y'all remember in John chapter 2 when Jesus performed the miracle of turning water into wine? and it was towards the end of the celebration that they're running out of wine because they didn't do a very good job with inventory, and then all of a sudden Jesus turns these vats of water into wine, and they begin to drink it, and they're going, oh, wait a minute, you saved the best for last. See, typically what they would do is they would give the best at the forefront, and then once people were drunk and they didn't even know what they were drinking anymore, they would greatly dilute the wine or water it down. God's word says that his wrath will never be diluted. He has been gracious in holding back the full fury of his wrath for decades, for generation upon generation. And finally, he says, enough is enough. And now what the unbeliever will experience will be an eternity separated from the Lord. Now again, stop, pastor. That's not fair. People committed a finite number of sins. Now they have to be punished for infinity. Well, listen to Revelation chapter 22. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to turn there. Go to Revelation chapter 22, verses 10 through 15. And this is where we're going to do just a little study together in some of the Greek verbiage of this passage. Revelation chapter 22, verses 10 through 15. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evil doer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Gang, note the phrases, let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, as well as everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The verb tenses in the Greek that are used here are what's called the aorist tense. Aorist is just our uh, version of the past tense. So their sin was happening in the past. However, notice that it says, let them still continue to do this. That word still in the Greek is an adverb. It's the word eti. Eti literally means continuous action going on into the unforeseeable future or the infinite future. In other words, the sin that they committed in the temporal sense is going to carry on into eternity. They're not asking to be forgiven and taken out of hell. They're actually going to be shaking their fists at God and continuing in their sin. I'd like to share with you another uh, little clip from Dr. Erwin Lutzer. Dr. Erwin Lutzer wrote a great little book called One Minute After You Die. Gang, if you want to be spurred on to share the gospel with somebody that doesn't yet know Christ, you need to read One Minute After You Die. If you want to be encouraged by what's going to happen to you the moment you breathe your last, read One Minute After You Die. I'm going to start with a tragedy because we're still working our way toward the triumph. But in Luke chapter 16, verses 23 through 26, we read this. In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. This is where Lazarus and this rich man have died. Lazarus goes to heaven the rich man goes to hell because Lazarus had trusted Christ, where the rich man didn't. And it says, He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And in this passage, we learn at least three things about the unbeliever. First off, Dr. Erwin Lutzer writes this, the man in Hades was fully conscious immediately after death. Memory, speaking, and pain, all of these were a part of his experience. He says, second, the eternal destiny of this man was irrevocably fixed. He could not cross the chasm. And then it says, third, this man knew himself well enough to know that what he was experiencing was fair and just. This side of heaven, people may be saying hell is not fair, but once they arrive there, they will recognize and realize that they have gotten exactly what they've deserved. Listen, if I commit one sin, I am not worthy of standing in the presence of an almighty God. I am not allowed to be in his heaven. I'll tell you what, I've committed way more than one sin. I am sure thankful that Jesus came and paid the penalty for all of those past, present, and future. So now when I stand before God, I will be seen as perfect. Listen, we've tried to wrestle through this, but keep trying to wrestle through this paradox. According to the gospel, according to what Jesus has done, you're perfect in the eyes of God the Father. All of your sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for. That's salvation. In fact, we talked about this on Wednesday night. However, in our sanctification, becoming more like Christ, I am going to struggle every single day. I'm going to get dirty. Y'all remember when Jesus was going to wash the disciples' feet? And Peter's like, oh, no. No, 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 you can't wash my feet. Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. To which Peter said, great, give me a bath, my entire body, all of it. And what does Jesus say? You don't need your whole body washed. Only your feet. Why? Because what he was teaching Peter is that those that had trusted Christ were washed clean. All their sins have been paid for past, present, and future. However, as we're on our journey with Jesus, we're still going to walk into some nasty stuff. And so to keep our relationship with him right, he had to wash their feet. Teaching them quite a powerful lesson. gang. Your salvation is secure. You don't have to have your whole body washed. However, you're going to walk into messes. That's not about your salvation. That's about your sanctification and remaining just like Jesus or becoming more and more just like Jesus. I want to make abundantly clear that once you have trusted Christ, you have got nothing to fear. We take that sneak peek behind death's door and we find nothing but blessing. We find no one but Jesus. And he's going to usher us into heaven But wait a minute, what what happens when I mess up? Good question. I do it all the time. And you know what happens when we mess up? We get forgiven when we don't deserve it. Now, that should not ever be an excuse. Our excuses don't don't work. Because I've heard people say to me before, well, if I'm forgiven, I'm gonna go live like hell. Okay, if that's the attitude, then I don't think you recognize who has forgiven you and what he has done. Because when you do, it should break your heart to sin against Jesus, Now, that being said, if you get to a point where you're going, oh man, I'm really, I'm concerned about my salvation, I've been sinning, I love Jesus, but I've messed up, then you don't have anything to fear. Because Jesus is your Lord and Savior. So I hope and I pray that by the time you leave here today, you have had drilled into your head that the moment that you have trusted Christ, all of your sins have been paid for. When you continue to sin, And when you mess up and you're going to and I'm going to, go straight to him with a broken heart and tell him, Lord Jesus, thank you so much that I am already forgiven. Now I ask that you continue to give me this fellowship forgiveness. I don't want to get too far into this because we could do a whole sermon on this, but there are two types of forgiveness that are talked about in scripture. There's what we call judicial forgiveness and there's what we call fellowship forgiveness forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is what you get the moment you trust Christ, when all of your sins are paid for. Judicially or positionally, you are seated in the heavens with Christ the moment that you trust him. That's why Paul could say, we're already seated with him in the heavenly realms. Fellowship forgiveness is one that we need continuously and has nothing to do with our position. But I can hurt my walk with Jesus, so I need to be forgiven over and over again. Well, I want to move into the triumph of knowing that we are forgiven by Jesus, of what awaits us because we're forgiven by Jesus. Look at Revelation 14, 12, and 13. Revelation chapter 14, verses 12 and 13. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God, and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Do you know that the death of the saint is triumphant? The death of the saint is triumphant. This is the second of seven beatitudes or blessings that are pronounced to those that die in Christ in revelation. And why are they blessed? Well, it's really a two-fold reason. One, the way they lived, they followed Jesus wherever He went, and two, how they died. They followed Jesus wherever He went. Their triumph really begins with the rest that they desire. Go back to verse 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest. Compare that to what we were told about the unbeliever. They have no rest day or night. Now, I want us to understand the word rest. It doesn't mean going to sleep. It doesn't mean taking a nap. It doesn't even mean ceasing from work. Ultimately, it means be refreshed. They're being refreshed in what they had done. The word labors that's used here in chapter 14 means difficult or exhausting work. These tribulation saints have suffered a lot of deep sorrow. They've lost loved ones. They themselves were probably beaten and then tortured. They weren't able to buy, sell, or trade while they were on earth. And now death or being with Jesus comes as a welcome relief because they get refreshed. They get their time of rest that they've been desiring, that they've been longing for. Any of you all gone through anything rough in the past month or maybe in the past year? Have you ever thought to yourself, like, when is this day or when is this week going to come to an end? Well, just continue living knowing that your great R&R is coming, rest and rewards. Just keep fighting the good fight, as Paul said. Keep on running the race because before we know it, we will be with the Lord and we will experience that great rest and those great rewards. Finishing up verse 13, it says, For their deeds follow them. Their triumph continues with the rewards that they desire. They desire the rest, and they desire the rewards. That Greek word for deeds refers to anything that the saints did for the glory of Christ. I know life might feel thankless. Moms, you especially, picking up another smashed Cheerio, stepping on another Lego, you know how it goes. Maybe you're homeschooling your kids or you're driving them all over the place to get them to school or to sports. No thank yous. Dads, you work 12 hours a day, you come home and you think to yourself, no thank yous. Maybe you serve in the marketplace or life is just flat out exhausting and you're thinking, when is there ever going to be a thank you for any of this? Just know that whatever you do for the Lord is never forgotten. God hasn't forgotten any of it. Maybe you're thinking it's been even worse. I'm serving the Lord and not only do I not get thank yous, I'm getting punished for it. Again, please don't ever forget that the sacrifice will never outweigh the reward. Or let me state it in the positive. The reward will always outweigh the sacrifice. The reward just might not be this side of heaven. Let me conclude with this. There are really three things that we need to be aware of as followers of Jesus. It costs to follow Jesus. It pays to follow Jesus. And the pay will always outweigh the cost when it comes to following Jesus. Let me show you what that's going to look like for believers in Christ. Again, back to Dr. Lutzer's book. in one minute after you die, he says, Think of how powerless death actually is. Rather than rid us of our wealth, it introduces us to riches eternal. In exchange for poor health, Death gives us a right to the tree of life that is for the healing of the nations. Death might temporarily take our friends from us, but only to introduce us to that land in which there are no goodbyes. Christ came, and the author of Hebrews wrote this, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. But listen to this final paragraph from Dr. Lutzer. Just as Moses led his people out of slavery, so now Christ passed through his own Red Sea, routing the enemies and preparing preparing to lead his people to the promised land. His exodus is proof that he can safely conduct us all the way from earth to heaven. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's good news for us this morning. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the fact that you walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Thank you that you parted that Red Sea that we call death. And Lord, you can lead us. You can conduct us all the way from earth to heaven. Lord, we know that we could never reach heaven on our own. There's nothing that we could do to pay back or to appease an all-holy God. And yet, Jesus, because you were God in flesh you were able to pay the full weight of the penalty that we had accrued. And so, Lord Jesus, we're thankful that we get to be with you. Lord, we know that this side of heaven following you might be costly, but would you remind us that the pay always outweighs the cost. And Jesus, you're worth it. Lord, as we got a sneak peek behind death's door this morning, we are thankful that what we find is you, Jesus, standing on the other side welcoming us home. Lord, thank you that this is not our home. Thank you that these bodies that we are in that fall apart, that forget things, that get sick and eventually die, Lord, thank you that these are not our permanent bodies, that this is not our permanent home, but one day you are going to give us that resurrection body and welcome us into our eternal home. Lord, we so look forward to that day. In the meantime, would you give us the strength and the wisdom and the compassion and the conviction to keep fighting the good fight? And Lord Jesus, may we see heaven crowded because followers of Jesus at New Covenant couldn't keep quiet about the King. Lord, we love you and we praise you for this morning. It's in Jesus' name we all pray together. Amen. Gang, real quick before I send you out, just a reminder, starting September 6th, we always go a three-month on, one-month off uh, dealio with our equipped courses. So for the months of September October and November, actually just for 11 weeks, we will be studying through a book called The Church in Babylon. There will be a study guide provided for you. In that, we will take a look at how Daniel and then his three buddies, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, at the age of 14, were able to stand in the midst of Babylonian culture while being indoctrinated with Babylonian literature, Babylonian religion, um, Babylonian ideologies. They still stood for the God of the universe. It is possible. How do we do it in our own Babylon? Because we have our own Babylon that we're battling uh, against and people that we are fighting for uh, all around us. How do we be true followers of Jesus that stand up for him, speak up for him, have both con- compassion and conviction when it comes to sharing the gospel when people don't know him? That's what we're going to dive into together for 11 straight weeks. I know it's a big ask, but if you could give up approximately 90 minutes of your life Every Wednesday for 11 weeks, we're going to grow together in how to spread the gospel in the midst of a culture that has gone off the rails. I can't wait to do that together. Amen? All right, gang. Lord willing, if he doesn't rapture us out of here or something else happen, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a good week. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.